0: Welcome to the most enchanted podcast in all the realms. I'm Lynn. I'm Elisa. And I'm Chell. Together we are... The The Narrators Narrators 3. And
1: this is Once Upon a Rewatch. Where all plot devices come with a price.
2: Welcome to Once Upon a Rewatch, Season 3, Episode 1, The Heart of the Truest Believer. The original air date for this episode was September 29th, 2013. The writers were the Kitsowitz and was directed by Ralph Hemmacher. The title card is two boys being yeeted across the screen. We begin 11 years in the past in a Phoenix, Arizona prison hospital where Emma is giving birth as a clock strikes
0: 815. Henry's birthday is August 15th, so he was born 815, 2001 at 815. The
2: lights flicker as the baby is born.
0: And I get that Emma is
2: incarcerated and all, but the
0: shot of her ankle cuff to the hospital bed is fucking shitty. I'm, I'm sure, like, the, the ankle cuff was, like, a gentle reminder. <laughs> I'm sure it's supposed to be a visual but, cue, but, yeah, it's but like, like it, it's like, whoa. The woman's in labor. Where do you think she's going? Exactly. I know. <laughs> I'm like... Um, they would not have let her go in like 11 months or whatever, had she been a uproarious prisoner. As far as we know, she just kind of kept her head down and did her time. Like she was maybe not a model prisoner, but like she definitely gave them no trouble. So yeah, I don't feel like she would have been like chained to, you know, no, what she, it's chained shitty. to the bed. It's shitty. And like the doctor is so nice to her too.
2: Like, yeah and like if you're just or wanting a clue to be like by the way this takes place in Les prison they have an officer right there yeah
0: yeah so it's like obviously right she's
2: under watch yeah. but i think my biggest thing is like she's in labor do you think she's gonna make a run
1: for it and if she did <laughs> do you think you couldn't fucking catch her I know. come on yeah the lights flickering were totally like a sign of like Emma's magic, right? Like that's
0: kind of what they were hinting at, or was it just supposed to be that the jail hospital is shitty? Uh, it's her magic, I believe. I mean, I'm choosing to believe it's her magic. I think I'm that was the intention. Sure it is
2: because they flicker the worst when she has like the really bad labor screaming is when they really get intensely flickering. Yeah. yeah. So that
1: wouldn't be electrical wiring. Yeah. So it's kind of cool that, like, her magic transcends the world without magic. Yeah. When she's, like, feeling strongly enough. Strongly enough in pain. Give that
0: woman some more
1: drugs. (laughs) Yeah,
2: word. The doctor informs Emma that the baby is a boy and offers him to her, imploring her to change her mind. Emma refuses, saying she can't be a mother. As the doctor takes the child away, Emma cries
0: the doctor was like, oh, you can change your mind. I was like, no, she can't. She's still got like two months. But then I was like, okay, I guess because the foster system would have like held on to Henry until like she got back on her feet. Yeah. Because they do like the reunification of parent and child is what the foster system really pushes nowadays. So I can absolutely see like where they would have been like, you you can do this, you know, but I understand her and and her just like the overwhelming feeling of, I do not have the tools set up to yeah. be able to care for a helpless infant. So. I mean, she doesn't even have a house. Right. Exactly.
2: She's got a stolen bug.
0: Maybe.
1: <laughs> yeah. Waiting for her. She was supposed to have a nest egg that Neil left for her, but <sighs> August stole it. August
0: stole it because he's a bastard. Because he is the worst ever.
1: Also, I cannot handle Jennifer Morrison crying.
0: It made me tear up. Yeah, it was brutal. It was really brutal. It was very brutal. She is a very, very good crier. She is a good crier. She's a convincing crier, man. In the present day, the
2: Jolly Roger sails through the stormy portal created by a magic bean. Emma, David, Mary Margaret, Regina, Mr. Gold, and Captain Hook hold on as the ship surfaces on foreign waters. As the passengers gaze at a distant island, Hook announces that they have arrived in Neverland.
0: I love that Neverland is treated with this reverence and dread. Like, if this is the island of childhood dreams, it is the nightmare of adults. Now, that is personally not how I write it or headcanon Neverland, but this is the observation I gather purely from Once Upon a Time canon, and I love it. Elsewhere, Henry, along
2: with Greg and Tamara, arrived from the bean portal he passed through. That
0: poor child is just yeeted out (laughs) of the portal. Like father, like son, I guess. (laughs) Yeeting is genetic. You heard it here first.
2: (laughs) When Tamara expresses joy at their arrival, Henry sassily informs the two of them both of his mothers are coming for him, mistakenly thinking they have arrived in the Enchanted Forest. Henry is like, my two moms are going to fuck you up. Hashtag Henry has two moms. Henry has two moms. Tamara corrects him, revealing that they are in Neverland. When Henry expresses his disbelief that the two adults endeavor to destroy Neverland, Tamara calls it the motherlode of magic. Tamara attempts to contact their home office with a communicator. Henry questions their cause and the people they are working for, but Greg tells him that it isn't for them to question, only believe in their cause. Y'all don't ask questions because you're dumb as hell.
0: You know, whether the Kitsowitz intended this consciously or not, there is a deeper commentary on religion here, but I'll, I'll go into that after the episode is over.
2: There's a commentary on people being dumb. <laughs> uh, true.
0: Dumb as hell.
2: hmm When she is unable to get a signal, Greg opens the device to check its batteries, revealing that the communicator is filled with sand. It's a good thing you guys don't ask any questions, Henry says sarcastically. The trio then sets off. God, I love Henry. He's the smartest person in this show. He's so good. This is a great Henry episode.
0: Henry is the smartest boy in all the realms. Aboard the Jolly Roger, Hook
2: slows the ship. When Regina questions the captain, he explains that he plans to sail around the island and sail up a river to surprise him. He then relishes in the irony that he is returning to Neverland with Rumpelstiltskin after having spent years trying to leave the island to kill him and this is not the happy ending he imagined. Regina remarks that Greg Mendel called her a villain, and told her that villains don't get happy endings. She asks Hook if he believes it. The pirate
1: replies that he hopes not, or the two have wasted their lives. I really like this little exchange. It was a lovely performance by the both of them, and it was very gentle. Uh, There's some great understanding, like, Bro, moments with Killian (laughs) and Regina this season, which I really enjoy. I do gotta kind of point out,
2: I found it semi hilarious the absolute incredulous tone Regina has when she's like, Greg called me a villain. I know, she's still (laughs) a villain. And I'm like, (laughs) You murdered his dad,
1: you fucking Uh, psychopath. You murdered his his dad. Regina lives on a different planet. <laughs> Regina lives in Regina Land. I'm just like, oh my god, woman! <laughs> no, she's ridiculous.
0: I, and I kind of struggle. I mean, you guys help me out here. I find Hook to be morally gray. I don't find him to be a villain necessarily. No, I don't think he's, he's definitely a villain. morally gray. Yeah. yeah,
1: it's interesting because there's villainous moments from him in the second season. Sure, um, but he's definitely morally gray. He's definitely you know playing either side. His goal is revenge. But like, it doesn't come necessarily from a villainous place. Like he's no. trying to right a wrong, and he's not the best man. You know, he's done lots of shitty things. But yeah. like, I look back at the episode where he kidnapped Belle, and and Belle is the like, outsider, yeah, the, yes, the outsider, a librarian at large, librarian at <laughs> large, librarian at large. And she's like, like Gold is been changing. There's good in him, and I see nothing but a black heart in you. And that's like one of the the off moments for Belle because she's smart, she's intuitive, and it's very clear that hook isn't you know black hearted like he is great he's an
0: absolutely a great character yeah um, oh god that was such a bad bell episode oh it was super bad it's a really bad bell episode that
2: was the yeah okay he murdered his wife but i can change
1: him and it's like oh Whoa, honey. Oh, oh honey she was just she was not justice for bell man yeah that was that <laughs> was bad growl. writing for her um yeah it, it just didn't make any sense to me because Because if there's any antagonist on the show that is portrayed more gray than, like, any other antagonist on it, it's Hook. Yeah. He's the one who walks the line the most. I think so. He's out for revenge,
2: but, like, Regina just murdered entire villages just because they, like... (laughs) They may or may not have crossed paths with Snow White. They might have seen Snow White one
1: time in the distance. Yeah. Yeah. And Hook has his, like, he has his, like, pirate code. Like, he does... Shitty things, but like there's lines he doesn't cross, and he's even said like there's lines I don't cross. Like when he saved Aurora's heart from falling into the yeah yeah like abyss, he's like you know even I couldn't let that happen. Yeah, Regina has no lines. No, no, <laughs> no, because she lives in Regina's world, and so anything she, that she, she wants, does,
2: she though she, so it she it does. is yeah it is wants. really interesting to be all like oh villain commiseration. And it's like except one of these people is.
0: Not like the other. Yeah, it's (laughs) like
2: no Regina, the only real villain in this conversation is you, honey. Yeah. (laughs) Like Hook's done some bad things, but you've you've committed war crimes. Yeah. (laughs) As Emma gazes absently at the sea, Mary Margaret and David approach her. In an attempt to comfort their daughter, Mary Margaret tells Emma that what happened to Neil and Henry was not her fault, and she should not blame herself. Emma replies that she blames her parents.
0: <laughs> I got a lot of quotes running around from I accuse my parents, that yeah. MST3K episode yeah, <laughs> running in my good. head right now. Like Tom Zervo <laughs> singing like, When I accuse my parents.
1: <laughs> <laughs> classic. Classic. During this this part, I was just like, Emma, be nice to your parents. Emma, like. please.
2: They're trying. She's got a lot of misdirected rage right now. She does. Yeah. It's been a day.
0: It's been a day for Emma. It's It's been been a a day. It's been a day.
2: She laments that her experiences have shown her that good does not always win. When Mary Margaret implores her to let her parents share their wisdom, Emma replies that they are the same age and have equal amounts of wisdom. Letting out her frustration, Emma regrets that she broke the dark curse, saying she should have just taken Henry. When both Mary Margaret and David express hope that they will reunite their family, Emma expresses further outrage at how infuriatingly optimistic the couple is, claiming that their lives have sucked since regaining their memories. Which, I mean, their lives kind of sucked before they remembered who they were. Like, there was the whole stupid curse David is the worst and Mary Margaret being framed for murder thing, but like, hey, what do I know? <laughs> yeah, their lives were awful then like- too. Maybe I, you know, maybe I'm not the best judge, but that
0: seems pretty <laughs> shitty. <laughs> pretty I think th- it's like it sucks for you since you broke the curse, but <laughs> not for them. <laughs> yes, their lives have actually been better. Yeah, it's been tough, but it's been
2: better. Mm-hmm. Right. Mary Margaret replies that the moment she gives up her optimism will be the moment things will go bad. Furthermore, they will find Henry. No, you won't. Chimes at Mister Gold, appearing above deck in an outfit once donned by Rumplestiltskin.
0: Hook has the best line. Oh. That's a great use of our time. A wardrobe change. (laughs) I mean, what else are they doing, though? They're like, they're on the fucking ship. It's sailing. (laughs) I mean, you haven't seen him for, like, the entirety of when they've been on the
2: boat. So he could have just been doing that while they're having this whole argument because he's like, what else do I have to do? But it really is superb delivery. Like, I wrote in my notes, I do appreciate Captain Eyeliner being on the same page as me because that's basically the exact thing I thought when he just appears like, Wee, look at me, I got the coat on again! It's like, my guy, there are bigger issues here. <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh, Mr. Gold.
2: Uh. <laughs> Mr. Gold informs the group that he is going to go get Henry. Regina replies that they agreed to do it together. Mr. Gold responds that he agreed to do no such thing. Emma asks why Mr. Gold is doing this, and he replies that he wants to succeed. When she asks why Mr. Gold thinks she would fail, He replies that she doesn't believe in anything, not even herself. Emma counters that she slayed a dragon, and that should qualify her belief. But Mr. Gold retorts, only because it was shown to you. He claims that their foe is too strong for someone to show Emma the way. That Neverland is a world where imagination runs wild, and Emma does not. Leaving his cane behind, Mr. Gold then disappears from the ship. Good luck walking around, (laughs) dum-dum.
0: Well, he talked about belief and it's his belief that he can walk without the cane uh, right. that's so like, fueling his ability to walk without the cane.
1: Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> How is he going to beat people up with a stick? That's true, though. It? He could have used it as a weapon. How is he going to do when he feels things?
0: Yeah. He'll just cry about it guess. Yeah, he can't beat yeah, people yeah. up about it anymore. He dropped yeah. it. He doesn't have the, the cane of emotion. He has to actually yeah. feel the emotion.
1: He can't smash at all. Mm. Oh no. On the
2: island, Greg starts a fire in an attempt to build a signal to alert the home office. So
1: Greg's only expression in these last few episodes, like after the big reveal of him being Owen, has just been him making an extreme and constant frowny face. This whole time. It's it's so extreme and it's so comical. It's kind of cartoonish. It's so Very cartoonish. Much is. It's so cartoonish.
2: Very much- He's just like on a droopy dog thing going (laughs) (laughs) Felix and the Lost Boys arrive, revealing that they are the home office. Henry questions why the Lost Boys would want to destroy magic. Felix replies that this is not their intention. When Greg interjects that that was his mission, Felix replies, so you were told, and demands they hand over Henry. Tamara refuses to give up Henry until the Lost Boys reveal their plans for magic and for returning home. Felix replies that they are never going home, and Greg responds that they are not getting Henry. Felix smirks and replies, of course we are. Suddenly, the shadow swoops down and removes Greg's shadow from his body. As Greg falls lifeless to the ground, the shadow flies off. Henry runs off, and on Felix's order, the lost boys scatter to pursue him. Tamara attempts to flee as well, but is shot with an arrow by one of the lost boys.
0: So long. Farewell. Leader saying goodbye. It's
2: really stupid how much time they wasted building these two
1: up to just be like, "Womp, they dead now." They have the most underwhelming
0: deaths for the show's most underwhelming villains. So, in all of my research, I thought there had been a bigger, grander plan for them, and I, I, I swear it's out there somewhere. Like somebody asked it at a convention and then put it on Tumblr or whatever. But I'm so far. You were right, Elisa. This was absolutely a case of the Kitsowitzes listening to their audience and just getting them out of the way as soon as possible.
1: They'd not have done it less dumb. You would think probably. <laughs> yeah, but it just it just it just stinks of their 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 deaths. Just stink of people don't like these characters. Let's get them out as fast as possible.
0: And I don't know if it was between seasons two and three where like Sanika Martin Green got the green light to be a regular supporting cast member on The Walking Dead. So she couldn't have committed to both. She had to choose. And I guess the Kitsowitz were like, well, yeah, we're just going to like kill you guys off anyway. And she's like, all right, great. That makes my decision easy. <laughs> so. And You know, it's a shame about Greg and Tamara because I do like
1: both of these actors. I love her. Yeah. And I've had the fondness for Ethan Embry, like since I was a little kid, like like grew up watching him as he grew up. So like I have a fondness for both. For both of them. So it's just a shame that they're just such underwhelming characters. There's some potential, that sh- but just nothing there lo- ever. There was a lot of potential that
0: they just didn't.
2: It's just, it's a quiet fart of an exit.
0: It, it's, it's absolutely <laughs> a quiet
1: fart of an exit. Yeah. <laughs> like, I, that's the best way I can describe it.
2: As Henry runs through the forest, he slips and falls. Another boy grabs him and pulls him to safety. When Henry asks if he is a lost boy, the lad replies that he was, but escaped. He then rushes Henry off to avoid capture. On the Jolly Roger, Emma does pull-ups below deck when Hook pays her a visit.
0: Sweet baby Jesus. This is some Linda Hamilton Terminator 2 thirst trap, and I am here for it. (laughs) Yeah,
2: whatever annoyances I have about this episode, I have to thank the writers for this scene. Thank you to the Kitsowitz.
1: Thank you. Thank you. More importantly, thank you to Jennifer Morrison.
2: Yeah, I was like, (laughs) don't don't thank them. Thank her. They're her arms.
0: I I I thank you, madam, for you and your guns
2: (laughs) for taking us
0: to the gun show.
2: (laughs) Hook asks Emma what she is doing. Emma replies that she is preparing for a fight. Hook jests that he has never known her to need to get ready for a fight, as he assumed it was her natural state. (laughs)
0: Lol, He ain't wrong. No,
2: she is literally always ready to punch a face. When she asks the captain what he wants, Hook replies that he wishes to give her something. He tells her that he and Balefire spent a lot of time together and gives her a sword the boy once owned.
1: The two then share a toast of rum to
0: Neil. So sweet.
1: Yeah, Killian giving Emma a base sword and then toasting to Neil was a very sweet scene. I liked it a lot. In the Enchanted Forest, Neil, who was not dead... <laughs>
2: Neil! I love you, Neil. I love you, Neil. He awakens in Aurora's palace, attended by Mulan, Princess Aurora, and Prince Philip. When Philip informs him that he is in the Enchanted Forest, Neil expresses shock at being back. Aurora asks if he is from their world, and Mulan interjects that, judging by his clothing, he is from the same world as Emma and Snow. Upon hearing Mulan mention Emma's name, Neil exclaims that Emma is in danger and he must help her. He sits up in an attempt to leave. Prince Philip protests as Neil was gravely injured by Tamara's gunshot at Storybrooke.
0: I like that. He's like, it's like a motion, unusual arrow wound. And Neil's like, yeah, 45 caliber arrow. <laughs> like, I'm just like, oh, I love him. He doesn't even miss a beat on it either oh god he's so good
1: yeah <laughs> no such good good quips from neil this episode oh my god yeah. oh my god it's so a many. superb neil episode a great Neil episode neil exclaims
2: that he needs to know if emma and henry are all right and aurora deduces that he is henry's father she explains that because she was once under sleeping curse she may be able to contact henry When asked what message to give them, Neil responds, tell Emma I'm alive and I love her. He
0: just wants the ASL, you know, the basics.
2: (laughs) (laughs) On the Jolly Roger, as Emma and Hook sit below deck, the ship is attacked. Above deck, David and Mary Margaret struggle at the helm in a desperate attempt to keep the ship steady. Hook tells the group to prepare for the attack. As the group looks down into the water, mermaids reveal themselves as the attackers.
0: This scene has, like, big Wallace Shawn energy from The Princess Bride. Like, those are the shrieking mermaids!
2: I do appreciate whenever anything embraces
1: the whole actually mermaids are terrifying thing. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I'm reading a webcomic about that right now. Mm-mm. It's also very gay. What comic? I um, like good gay shit. Is it Castle Swimmer? No, it is. Hold, please. Why don't Hold, you just please. know this? Oh, because I am dumb. I don't know why I don't ice, ice massacre. It's called ice massacre. Is it? cheerful. Lesbians. Yes, it is. It is on webtoons called ice massacre. It's pretty good so far. Pretty violent. Pretty good. I'm enjoying it. <laughs> As Hook
2: continues to steer the ship, attempting to outrun the vicious mermaids, David loads a cannon and opens fire on the mermaids. Emma and Mary Margaret drop a large net into the sea, ensnaring a mermaid frustrated with the slow movement of the fight regina begins launching fireballs into the water which is just so dumb regina you dummy throwing fire into water is not a thing she's all look how badass i am and it's just why is she so dumb
0: aura is rolling over in her grave (laughs) your your mama didn't raise you to be an idiot dear (laughs) <laughs> she really did try to stamp the wonder bread out of her it's our proof that henry Laura did really her best her yeah because i yeah. don't know if rumple's done some real dumb yeah, dumb stuff. Done some fuck stupid
1: thing so rumple's still skin if he actually had stayed on the ship absolutely would have also done something similar to casting fire at the water i i see and that. and then
0: happening. there would
2: have
1: been two of them <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh look at these two dum-dums side by side, <laughs> and then we could have would have had charming being like that's a great idea, and like oh my god, <laughs> and it would just
1: be like Mary Margaret being like no stop, why are you people like me? <laughs> yeah, and,
0: and then, then Killian- Emma and, and then Emma just jumps down and starts punching them, <laughs> yeah, because she'd be
1: like fire is stupid, you got to punch your way out, <laughs> and Killian would be like encouraging them, but is definitely like also shaking his head and like rolling his eyes at the same time because he's all yeah, great idea, uh huh. Why don't you try more? <laughs> Let's add some more fire. Meanwhile, I'll be drinking. It's not enough
2: fire. <laughs> the school of mermaids retreat as Emma and Mary Margaret slowly haul the captured one up. Regina magically moves her onto the deck. On the island, Henry and the other escapee continue running through the forest as the lost boys search for them. The other boy confirms that they have lost their pursuers and the two decide to take a rest. The fugitive boy deduces that Henry is new to the island and asks if the shadow took him as well. Henry explains that he was kidnapped by people who worked for Pan, and the other boy claims that if Pan wants Henry, he will get him. Henry asks why Pan is after the other boy, who explains he has pixie dust, which he stole from Pan, hoping he could use it to fly away. However, the boy claims it does not work. Henry claims that his family is coming for him. The other escapee warns Henry that if his family does come for him, Pan will rip their shadows into oblivion. Henry responds by reassuring the lad that everything will be all right and asks if there is a place the two can hide from the Lost Boys. The other boy suggests the Echo Caves, but claims they're far. Just then, sounds of approaching Lost Boys are heard, and the pair hurries off. In the Enchanted Forest, Princess Aurora travels to the Netherworld in her sleep on her fire beer. beer?
0: Yeah, yeah. It's beer
2: on her beer in an attempt to contact Henry we <laughs> are so incredulous when you sound-
1: it doesn't look like it should be said
0: that way no I, be-
1: I went through that when but I did the
0: last I promise this, you so. I went to dictionary.com and listened to the audio but I'm just like okay beer it is <laughs> <laughs> on, her, on her magic carpet of Budweiser off she
2: goes on a Michelob Ultra <laughs> <laughs>
0: Milan asks
2: Neil how he arrived, and Neil explains that he fell through a portal. Believing he was going to die, he thought about growing up in the Enchanted Forest. As he explains, portals take their user to wherever they think of.
1: Hey, Neil! Thanks for finally explaining the portals to the audience, because... I was actually wondering about that, like, all of last season. Like, how do you know what bean goes to what? Yeah, I just kind of assumed you hoped for the best.
2: (laughs) 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 You just kind of went, sure hopes this works, and just went for it. I mean, Jefferson's hat had, like, doors and shit. Curiously, Mulan asks about the other world. Neil explains that the people there think the inhabitants of the Enchanted Forest don't exist, like characters in a story. They made a movie about you, Neil says to Mulan. It was actually pretty good. I love that line so much, especially Mulan's follow-up. What's a movie? <laughs> it's, it's really good, honestly. Aurora awakens and breaks the news to Neil that she was not able to make contact. She expresses her fear that no one can help, and Neil responds that his father can. He explains that his father would have had a plan that he would have left something behind in case he ever found himself back in the Enchanted Forest, something that would allow him to contact Emma. When he expresses his desire to go to his father's castle, Prince Philip asks who his father is. Neil replies, Rumpelstiltskin. On Neverland Island, Mr. Gold stalks through the forest. He arrives at the clearing where Tamara and Greg were left. Greg's body lies lifeless as Tamara, an arrow protruding from her back, painfully crawls along the ground. Mr. Gold asks where Henry is, and Tamara, gravely injured, is unable to respond. Mr. Gold heals her wound and asks her again Henry's whereabouts. She responds that she doesn't know where he is. He ran. Tamara further explains that Pan wants him and is behind everything. She tells Mr. Gold that she didn't know who she was working for and apologizes for what happened to Neil. She asks if Mr. Gold can forgive her for kidnapping Henry. He curtly responds, no, and rips out her heart. He calmly crushes it in his hand, and her body falls, lifeless to the ground.
0: I mean, I, I, I guess I wouldn't forgive her if I thought Neil was dead and my grandkid kidnapped. I mean,
2: I guess his motivation's fair, but at the same time, I feel like I once again have to lament the undercurrent of misogyny in this show. Like, Greg basically dies instantly. Tamara, though, she spends, God only knows how long, slowly dying from her injury before Rumpelstiltskin even shows up. And then she gets her heart crushed. Like, it's kind of a fucked up double standard that we've seen way too many times in the show already.
1: Yeah, it, did, it felt a little icky. Like, the woman is the one that needed to be punished.
0: She had to suffer mm. first. I'm sure their reasoning was, oh, she shot Neil and broke his heart. But to be honest, her death is tone deaf. Mm-hmm. Much much like a lot of the way they write and treat women in this show. Yeah.
2: Which is why I'm like, I guess I can see where they were coming from. Yeah. But it's in poor taste. It felt icky. There you go. Poor and t- this and also, is, I think that's good. And also, if you want to take into account, like, she's one of the few people, people of, of color, color that have been yep. on the show. Yep. That's pretty gross. And they're notoriously, notoriously shitty to people of
1: color on this show. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's it's her death is treated as like this, like weird celebratory moment. Like it's like, it's a gotcha moment. And it's it's, like, that's disgusting. Yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah, she's a villain, but like, I think there was potentially a lot of complexity to her backstory. We never got to learn.
0: Um, Exactly. Like, I I feel like there was a lot more to her and they, they definitely had a concrete backstory for her.
1: So much about the show is about redemption or redemption for the things you do. So, why doesn't she get the chance? Like so many others do. Why doesn't she? It's gross. That's what I've got. It's gross. Agreed. Yeah. I feel like the proper way to have gotten Tamara off the show without it feeling icky, Mm -hmm. if they did want to kill her off, is it should have been a blaze of glory. It should have been her, like, fighting to the death, like, because of her strong beliefs.
0: Yeah. That would have made actually a lot of sense.
1: Like, she deserved a chance to like fight with tooth and nail because that's that's the character that they you know they didn't go I mean, into too much detail, but that's definitely who they wrote in season two They definitely so she was like a zealot
2: to, yeah I was gonna say they definitely set her up to be someone with like basically religious
1: fanaticism for her cause mm-hmm. yeah yeah that's so uh, so I think it would have sat better with me if she had like gone like guns blazing into battle in a fight maybe she, the odds were stacked against her she couldn't win but she needed to you know Fight uh, due to her beliefs and all about her cause, and yeah, that would have been a fitting ending for her. I think that would have made more sense for her character. She seemed very, very scrappy. Yeah, like you said, a zealot. That's exactly what she was. That's what they set her up as. And I think, I think her death would have sat better, and honestly, would have been more interesting if they had done that. Yeah, I agree. Back on the Jolly
2: Roger, the group debates whether the mermaid should be let go or questioned. As they argue, she picks up a conch shell and blows it. I don't know where she got it, but she has it. Letting off a loud signal. (laughs) When Emma questions what the signal was for, the mermaid replies that it was a warning. She tells the group to let her go or die. In the Enchanted Forest, Neil and Mulan travel to the Dark Castle. Mulan questions Neil on why, if he is fighting for Emma, did Emma never mention him during her time in the Enchanted Forest.
1: I love when Neil first went, yeah, I don't know how to explain what a movie is, to Milan after she like asked him if if she could ask a question. It was a really funny piece of writing. It was a great Mm. intro to the scene. I mean,
2: Neil basically gets the best lines in this episode. He
1: does. He's on it. He's got those quick one-liners in this one. And he just, he has incredible delivery. Yeah. Oh, Michael's so
2: good. He's so good. Neil responds that he broke her heart, letting her go so she could fulfill her destiny and break the dark curse. He further explains that, out of fear of rejection, he never went after her. He calls this his greatest regret of his life.
0: Bro, you were also seeing someone else. <laughs> you know, that might uh, detail. I mean, I like that he just, you know, conveniently forgets. He's like, well, I'm a fucker.
1: <laughs> so, you know, how the show felt as well. I guess so. pretty much.
0: <laughs> Let's just sweep these guys under the rug. We'll never speak their names ever again. There, you We're go. just
1: going to forget that'll happen. <laughs> yeah. The scene though, I was watching Mulan's face, you know, with the context of this being a rewatch mm. and like my heart really hurt because like you can tell like Jamie's so good and, and the story is like resonating with Mulan who is, who is also, you know, holding back, going after what her heart wants, you know, out of fear of rejection. And I see that groundwork being laid for a plot that's going to come. And so now it's time for me to cry about Sleeping Warrior for 100
0: years.
1: (sighs) On Neverland Island, Henry and the other
2: fugitive, on their way to the Echo Caves, are pursued by the Lost Boys. When the gang cuts the pair off with an arrow, Henry realizes the Lost Boys know about the caves. He and the other escapee run in a different direction. On the Jolly Roger, David demands to know what the mermaid has done. Regina interjects that if the mermaid does not reveal herself, they will make her do so. As the group argues, a storm brews. Hook realizes the mermaid called the storm. David, pulling out a sword, holds it under the mermaid's chin, telling her to stop the storm, and then they will let her go. Regina encourages David to kill the mermaid, but he releases his grip on her when Mary Margaret flashes him a shocked look causing him to refuse to do the deed. As Captain Hook turns the ship around in an attempt to outrun the storm, Regina and Mary Margaret argue over whether or not to kill the mermaid. Hook points out that the ship is taking on water. As the argument continues, Emma implores the group to think this through. Regina, having had enough, turns the mermaid into wood. Her action, rather than calming the storm, prompts a giant tidal wave to loom over the ship. Oh, Regina. Why are you so dumb?
0: (laughs) One of the notorious goofs in this episode is that when the camera pans down over the ship, the wooden mermaid statue is nowhere to be seen. (laughs) Of course not. (laughs) People, come on.
1: It's gone. It's gone for the rest of the episode. It washed away to sea. Yeah, I just imagine Regina just like yeeted it off the ship. She's like, (laughs) it's light now, it's wood. Goodbye. I can pick the bitch up now, yeet. I loved Mary Margaret's reaction of, Regina, what did you do? It was like when you're telling an animal to spit out like a shoe that they're chewing on. What did you do? Don't make me get the squirt bottle.
0: Spit it (laughs) out. Spit it out. out. What do you have?
1: What are you eating? (laughs) My
0: God. I say several times a week.
1: (laughs) Also, the scene was really enjoyable for so many reasons. But like the very end where they're just like, our cast is really hot. So please appreciate them wet and in slow motion. And I was like, I do. Yeah, they did kind of just gratuitously throw in that scene of them just being like drenched
2: and in slow motion and like being like, look at Emma's arm. Yes, like everyone
0: gets this like dramatic beauty shot. Like it was <laughs> gratuitous,
2: but I was cool with it. We yeah. should
0: definitely like get a clip of that and then like put like like eighties sexy sax music mm-hmm. over it. Careless, oh, careless whispers, <laughs> yes, yeah. <laughs>
1: Hello, this is Lafayette. And I'm Carlos. From Nerds Talking the Podcast. That's right. Where we talk about everything from UFOs, comic books, movies, Uh streaming services, conspiracy theories, ghosts, Mm. video games, and more. All on Nerds Talking the Podcast. You can find us every Friday with new episodes on all digital platforms where you find your favorite podcast, Nerds Talking
0: the Podcast. Now back to the show.
2: In the Enchanted Forest, Neil and Mulan arrive at the ransacked Dark Castle. Mulan believes the castle is abandoned. Neil, upon inspecting a goblet, realizes that someone else is there. Suddenly, an arrow hits a wall just inches from Neil's face. As Mulan draws her sword, Robin Hood reveals himself.
1: I miss when you were Tom Ellis. But I do really like Sean McGuire as Robin. I think he's a very soft Robin. It's a very different Robin, but he's very soft. But Tom Ellis. I know. I love Tom Ellis. Yeah, I love Tom Ellis.
2: I do. Like, I know he busy, but still. He's busy. He demands to know why the two are trespassing in the castle, claiming it as his own. After Milan points out that the castle belongs to the Dark One, Neil tells Robin Hood he can have the castle. He just wants to look around. Robin Hood asks who Neil is to do such a thing, and Neil reveals himself to Robin Hood as Balefire, the Dark One's son. Robin Hood believes this statement without requiring further proof, saying no one would claim to be the Dark One's son who wasn't, which I love that Neil kind of does like, uh, fair enough.
0: (laughs) And and, yeah, he was like, what, you want to see ID or something? (laughs) It's like, what are you going to show him?
2: (laughs) He further explains that he and Rumpelstiltskin once crossed paths, that the Dark One spared his life, and he owes him a debt. Neil calls upon this debt to solicit Robin Hood's aid in finding something he can use. Except that that Bell was the one
1: who spared him. This is
0: Bell erasure.
1: Justice for Bell. I mean, to be
0: fair, Robin Hood probably heard them yelling and hollering at each other thirty feet away from him him and saw that Rumpel was gonna shoot an arrow through his heart. But yeah, I hear you. Bell gave him his freedom. Rumpel just honored it. Yeah, they really weren't subtle. No,
1: no, no, no.
0: No, no. They're just arguing He's like, so close to them. <laughs> Can you imagine? Like me and Mary's like, who are those like weirdos over there? He's like, Oh, I was like kidnapped for like five <laughs> minutes and he tortured me, but she let me go. And I guess they're chasing after me. But my God, I've just been like, they've been on my tail the whole time. But I think there's a story there. They just I, keep I, I don't know. I think love. they really want a bone, but they just don't like know it yet. Just ignore them in the least. Ignore them. <laughs> We're gonna take off in a minute. <laughs> Robin
2: Hood explains that he did not take up residence in the castle until after the Dark Curse was cast, and the castle had already been ransacked. Neil, remarking that the looter would only take what they could see, comes upon his father's old walking stick. When he picks up the stick, Lulan theorizes that it belonged to a looter and is worthless. Neil quickly corrects her, however, pointing out the markings Rumpelstiltskin used to keep track of his growth as a child.
0: (laughs) My heart.
2: You good? Do you need a second?
0: I do. I do. Okay, I'm good.
2: Okay. Neil twirls the stick like a staff, and a painting in the corner of the room disappears, revealing a large cupboard. Neil's
1: staff twirl was so slick. Honestly, Michael would have made a really great gambit.
0: Oh, hell yeah. I mean, he already has a solid Cajun accent down.
2: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Oh, now I'm just sad for what I could have had and didn't get. Yeah. I know, it would have been so good. hmm Robin Hood remarks that he's handled the staff several times and nothing happened. Neil explains that his father enchanted objects with blood magic, making them only useful to Rumpelstiltskin and his bloodline. On the Jolly Roger, as Hook and Emma struggle at the helm to control the ship, Mary Margaret demands that Regina turn the mermaid back. The argument degrades into a fight as the women verbally attack each other, and Mary Margaret punches Regina in the face.
1: Ooh, get her. That punch was honestly very satisfying. <sighs> Just had she like had like it coming. A, yeah. It was yeah.
0: Like, good for her. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, very much. Julie Walters, good for her. Good,
2: good for her. her. Lightning strikes the ship as the women continue their fight. David attempts to break it up, but Hook attempts to hold him back, telling David he needs him at the mast, but also calling Mary Margaret and Regina slags. This infuriates David. <laughs> <laughs> and he punches Hook, starting a brawl between the two. And honestly, David bellowing, don't call my wife a slag, is absolutely (laughs) hilarious. It was pretty funny. (laughs) Big himbo activate.
1: (laughs) Big himbo rage
0: mode activate. Himbo mad.
2: Himbo mad. As the other passengers continue to fight and the storm continues to rage, Emma realizes that it wasn't the mermaid causing the storm, but the group themselves. She attempts to persuade the others to stop fighting, but her pleas fall on deaf ears. Poor Emma is just over here, like, if you dumbasses could stop punching each other for two seconds. (laughs) Desperate to get the dumbasses to stop punching each other for two seconds, she jumps off of the ship. The others cease fighting to look over the side as a pulley, its line weakened by lightning, strikes Emma in the back, rendering her unconscious. On Neverland Island, Henry and his fugitive friend, still running from the Lost Boys, find themselves on the edge of a cliff. Realizing there is nowhere to go, the other escapees suggests giving the lost boys the pixie dust in exchange for their lives. Rejecting this plan, Henry takes the pixie dust and, with a running start, uses it to fly himself and the other boy off of the cliff moments before the lost boys arrive.
0: Henry is just the bravest, most magical little boy. I adore him. He's so good. He's, he is perfect. On the
2: Jolly Roger, David, with aid from Hook and the others, jumps overboard and rescues Emma. As they finally work together, the storm eventually clears. On Neverland Island, Mr. Gold sits down on a rock and tells an unseen person to come out and say hello. Felix emerges from the jungle, greeting Mr. Gold as Rumpelstiltskin. Speaking as Pan's emissary, Felix informs Mr. Gold that he is welcome in Neverland for as long as he wishes, with the single condition that if Mr. Gold is after Henry, he will be Pan's enemy. Mr. Gold makes his intentions known, saying nothing's changed. Felix responds by saying that if Mr. Gold goes against Pan, he will not survive. Mr. Gold replies that the question is not whether he'll survive, he won't, but rather how many he'll take down with him. Felix accepts this response, saying he'll see Mr. Gold again in less friendly circumstances. I know they were going for something very moody with this lost boy, who's definitely not a full-grown man. But 90% of the time he talks like he is just on so much Xanax and it's really hard to be intimidated by someone who looks like they might fall asleep at any second.
0: His name is Parker Croft, the actor, and he feels like he'd be more in place in, in something like Velvet Gold Mind or Hedwig and the Angry Inch,
2: you know? Or literally anything where he's playing
0: an adult. Yeah. Or anything where he's playing an adult too, <laughs> yeah. yeah. like He's just wasted as a lost boy. You're just like this. This is this, like this the dumbest rule for him. Definitely for this. not not a full grown man. Definitely not a full grown man. Definitely not born in 1987. No, which he absolutely is.
2: Oh, buddy.
0: <laughs> yeah.
2: Mister Gold tells him to count on it and begins to exit. Felix then tosses a handmade doll onto the ground, saying Pan wanted him to have it. Mister Gold picks up the object, visibly distraught. Felix leaves him, commenting that the things we haven't thought about in years still have the ability to make us cry. Rumple still cries all the damn time. This is an accomplishment, Felix. <laughs>
0: <laughs> this is like breakdown sobs. And this is also post dark one stuff. He's mostly just raging. He's raging the tears back. <laughs> but I do feel like that someone hit like a soft reboot button on Rumple and that he's more in character now than he was in the last half of season 2.
2: We can only hope cuz it got pretty dicey there.
0: Yeah. Really did. Yeah, no, I really did.
2: Like it was just like what? Who? Did you guys forget what this character is?
0: Yeah, exactly.
2: <laughs> cuz I don't know what the fuck this guy is, but he is not the character he was before.
0: Yeah, yeah, exactly. But now I I find that he's finally getting back on track.
2: In the enchanted forest, Neil opens his father's secret cupboard. A myriad of magical objects are inside. And Neil focuses on
0: a crystal ball. <laughs> and the babies fall out. All the babies fall no, no, out all of the baby cover. Oh, oh my no. God, we missed the baby <laughs> a joke. Oh, they all all t- the babies
2: came tumbling out. And Neil's all like, All the babies what? who are now teenagers due to the duration of the curse.
0: <laughs> and Neil's like, what? who's are you? They're like, Where is our papa? <laughs> are you our papa? Are you our papa? Now? <laughs> oh no. Oh, no. And he's, he's like, It's sh- been so long. <laughs> It's been so long. Where is our papa? He's like, what's your papa's name? Rumpel Daddy. (laughs) Right. The secret baby
2: covered. A myriad of magic objects and also grown adults are inside. (laughs) Because the curse was very long. Neil focuses on a crystal ball. Putting his hands over it, he comments on the irony of the situation. He spent his life running for magic, and now he must rely on it. After a few moments of nothing happening, a frustrated Neil takes the crystal ball out of the cupboard and places it on a table. Mulan tells him to think of Emma and his feelings for her. Utilizing this advice, Neil tries the crystal ball again. This time he is successful, conjuring a clear image of Emma. However, all is not well as Neil instantly realizes Emma isn't in Storybrooke. She's in Neverland.
0: Which I gotta say, that's really uncanny for him to recognize because it's literally her with some like shrubs yeah. in the background.
2: Yeah, there's assorted leaves behind her head. And he's like, damn, those are some Neverland leaves.
1: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I mean, I guess it was probably a big place of trauma for him. So I
0: spent I so guess... many years looking at them damn leaves. <laughs> I know those exact leaves. <laughs> it's like birds in his memory. It's like, it's probably like got a blinking sign. Kind of remember like the Beetle Geist like, graveyard in <laughs> <laughs> Beetlejuice. Or it's like here, it's just like, I wonder if we'll find him. <laughs> it's like blinking three neon signs <laughs> with like the arrow pointed to the ground. It just says Neverland, 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 flashing.
2: In Neverland, Emma and the group land on the island. When Regina suggests that she can fix the Jolly Roger and they can still follow Hook's initial plan, Emma responds by telling her that Pan already knows they're on the island, making any hope of surprise futile. Attempting to rally the group together, Emma tells them it's time to believe in each other. Regina, shocked, asks, you want us to be friends after everything that's happened between all of us? (laughs) Emma responds that she doesn't expect such a thing, that the group just needs to be themselves. Hero, villain, pirate. They just need to succeed. When Regina asks what skill Emma possesses, Emma responds by saying she's a mother, she's going to get her son back, and anyone against her should stay out of her way. She then heads off, appointing herself the leader, and the others follow.
0: I love that once Emma unsheaths her sword, it is like a dog whistle to charming himbo ears. <laughs> like, now you're speaking my language, stabby stab. He's
2: such a proud papa in that moment. <laughs> There's also a part in the scene when Emma is revving up her big hero speech, and she's like, you don't have to like me. And Hook says something along the lines of, actually, I rather fancy you when you aren't trying to murder me or something like that. And she just gets the most put upon face. (laughs) Like, God damn it. I'm trying to be motivational. Keep it in your pants.
1: Yeah, that part was so good. I love Emma taking charge so much. The scene is great. Like everything about it. And then when Emma wraps up her speech, like both Killian and Regina get these looks on their faces like, damn that emma is so hot right now
2: hell yes is this like one of the moments you talked about where they kind of just you're like bro 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 bro.
1: that emma swan though
2: (laughs) you'll bond over our mutual attraction to the shouty woman (laughs) yeah
0: (laughs) i like it when she bosses me around
2: (laughs) elsewhere on the island henry and his erstwhile companion touch down in a clearing excited henry points out that if one believes anything is possible The other boy responds, you couldn't be more right, Henry. Realizing something is wrong, Henry asks the boy how he knows his name. His cover now blown, the other boy reveals himself as Peter Pan. Shocked, Henry asks why Pan told Greg and Tamara that he would help them destroy magic. Pan responds that he needed their help and it's easier to get people to hate something than to believe.
0: That is actually true, Peter Pan. Yeah, that that kind of like hurt a little inside yeah, yeah. <laughs> so i was like "Ooh, that's very
2: topical
1: it's, it's very topical it's a
2: marge simpson meme with he's right but he shouldn't say it <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> henry asks why he was brought to neverland and pan explains that he has been searching for the heart of the truest believer henry's actions on the island using the pixie dust to fly has proven that henry possesses this heart he claims henry and his heart as his own Several lost boys emerge from the jungle as Pan invites them to play. It's all very lore of the flies. And then we end credits.
0: So, uh, what a banger of an opening episode for season three. Even the CGI is better, mermaid tales notwithstanding. They're bad. <laughs> but, the, but the ocean was very good. Yeah. It isn't perfect by any stretch of the imagination, but it definitely grabbed my attention and made me very excited about this part of season three. I'll wax poetic about Robbie Kay as Peter Pan throughout the season, but fuck, just get used to it because this lad is astounding. God, what a great little actor. So earlier, I stuck a pin in an exchange between Henry and Greg and Tamara, where Henry mocks the couple for not asking questions about home office. Bear with me. I'm going to take you on a little journey. Okay. It, it will have a point. Okay. So Judaism is a faith based upon asking questions. The right to ask questions is considered intrinsic to the faith itself. To quote Rabbi Jonathan Sachs, Education is not indoctrination. It is teaching a child to be curious, to wonder, reflect, inquire. The child who asks becomes a partner in the learning process. He or she or they is no longer a passive recipient, but an active participant. To ask is to grow, end quote. By contrast, Greg and Tamara are blind followers. They do not ask questions. And as we saw, this blind faith comes to be their undoing. It is pitched in stark contrast against the belief of Henry, who possesses the heart of the truest believer, but who balances his ability to ask questions in order to strengthen his belief system, rather than allowing himself to be led blindly. Whether they were self-aware of this aspect or not remains to be seen, but I do think that the Jewish upbringing of the Ketsowitz definitely has influenced the backbone of the tragedy of Greg and Tamara. If only they had permitted themselves to, to delve further into it, I would have been really curious where it went further. So it's just like a really, really tragically missed opportunity because I... Was really analyzing it from the start because they really chose those words with Tamara in particular, with like sacred, unholy. Unholy, yeah. Yeah. I think the Jewish upbringing and like the nature of asking questions and being that like hand in hand with faith, the antithesis of that being blind faith really plays a lot to this. Well said. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. I got philosophical there
1: for a you moment. You did. Uh, that was awesome. That was really interesting. That's coming out of perspective that, like, I I wasn't thinking about. I try. <laughs> <laughs> I I had
2: some issues with this episode, which were mostly people acting stupidly. But yeah, overall, this is probably the strongest episode we've had in a while. And like, he's a real schmuck. But I love weird, dark, serial killer Peter Pan. I'm Thank excited you. he's here. Overall, I just enjoy the neverland arc like it's not perfect it's once upon a time but it's fun
1: yeah i'm a big fan of the neverland arc like like lynn said it's it's not perfect nope but but it's fun it's a really it's a really fun watch i think this might be my favorite arc in the whole show but let's see if that stands true after this this whole rewatch I've, i've only watched this arc once but i i think back on it very fondly I think this is a great start to the third season. The episode was exciting. It was intriguing. The cast was, was on their A-game. Uh, overall, it left you wanting to watch the next one to find out more about Neverland and, and what's going on here. So yeah, I, I, I very much enjoyed myself. And, like, both of you said, like, this is our introduction to Robbie Kay as Peter Pan, who is just so good. I think he's he's probably the best young actor on the show. He's an excellent villain, who you instantly believe is a threat as soon as he shows his true colors to Henry. Like, it's such a good reveal. It's such a good, like, like switch on uh, to this. Um, what did you say, Lynn? It was, like, evil serial killer Peter Pan? Yeah. Um, which is basically what he is. I mean, he's he's great he's a fantastic villain what a strong villain
2: for this arc as far as villains go i feel like maybe unpopular opinion but i feel like for the majority of the neverland arc peter pan is the best villain that this show has had Hmm. like he's just so interesting he's very interesting so oh, interesting i never feel the need to scream oh my god just shut up directly in his face like i do with no. basically
1: all the other ones and he's also he's also he is he is a villain he is yeah. he is, he's is not on this redemption arc this, oh, yeah of uh, that no, that, that, that we just, see regina goes on and, and mr gold goes on like he is he's he is evil and he does evil. not give a fuck he about does, it he does Field. not want to change no he's like why should i what i got going on is good yeah, so he's a he's a great villain. He's a very different villain than what they usually have on the show. So he's just he's so good. He's so good. This kid's amazing.
0: Uh-huh.
1: All right. We going to talk about costumes or
0: yes. So I really like the mermaids crowns and they were made by Vancouver-based accessories designer Medicina Designs. The lead mermaid, or, you know, the mermaid we actually get some lines from. Uh, So it's made with wood pieces, hand-carved in Bali, and a metal base, scalloped metal discs, real seashells, freshwater pearls, real crystals, and semi-precious gemstones, and a starfish. Detachable strands of beads dangled from the sides of the crown to accent the mermaid's hair. An identical crown was created for the lead mermaid's stunt double as well, which is very cute.
2: I mean, their crowns were very pretty. I just wish the lead mermaid's tail hadn't had such bad CGI. Like they make fake tails, fam. Just slap one on. I have cosplay friends who have them and they're cute and look way better than CGI.
0: <laughs> yeah. I don't know which one would be more cost efficient. Those tails are fucking hella expensive. Yeah. But emotional cost here.
1: <laughs>
2: Cause it hurt me. It hurt me to look at.
1: Uh, we didn't get a great view of it, but I also really love Robin Hood's costume. I love the, the deep greens of it, the stitching on it. It has a lot of these great, like, foresty textures going on. It's, it's a very nice costume. It's a very nice costume. I also liked uh, Aurora's look was kind of switched up for the first time we've really
0: seen in the show. And I thought she looked lovely. Good. So it's time to play Who's That Guest Star? In Season 3, Episode 1, we have Parker Croft as Felix. Parker Croft is an actor, director, and screenwriter known for his roles in titles such as Big Little Lies, Malibu Horror Story, and The Untold Story. He has directed music videos for recording artists such as Svibes, The All-American Rejects, and Vader the Villain. Along with his wife Elisa, Parker Croft currently runs a full-service production company, Paper Horse Pictures, located in West Hollywood, California. He's weird, and i like, (laughs) he's weird, and he's kind of, you know, he's he's like unconventionally cute, and I think that his being like a grown-ass man, as we keep pointing out, he was absolutely wasted on this role, and he should have had a much bigger, better villainous role later. Yeah, I think it could have been something interesting. Honestly, he would have been a pretty cool Hades. I can see that. I've seen pictures of him, like, in an all-black suit. With his, like, hair cropped and stuff. And I'm like, I could see you as yeah as you could've, we could've king have had like of a, the underworld. Yeah, like a super goth Hades. Mm. I would have been down for that. So
1: where are we on the timeline, Elisa? Lisa? All right. Well, this one is a very interesting one because it only has a single flashback, which serves as the show's cold open. The flashback would follow a few months after the last one in season two, episode six, Tallahassee. As there, we see Emma in jail, learning that she is pregnant. And our flashbacks here show Emma give birth to Henry. The episode we have seen so far that most closely follows this one is the present day storyline in season one, episode one pilot, where we see a 10-year-old Henry arrive at Emma's doorstep.
0: So now we have our rants and our raves. Yes, it has been retitled. So it's our segment where each narrator can share something they're loving this week or something that's getting under their skin or both, because both is good. I will talk about my rant first, because get that out of the way. Your rave or your no, rant? My rant. Your rant. Oh, no, I want to rant about something. And then, I, and then I'm going to you know talk about the nice thing afterwards to smooth it over. So my rant is fucking garbage disposals and the disrespect that certain people of a certain age have for them, specifically my mother. Who keeps chucking down like the worst shit. And I have had to retrain her brain constantly. Like it took me just in the last 10 years alone to get her to stop throwing eggshells down the fucking garbage disposal. Coffee grinds can still be a chore. She still has like brain farts about that. But now I wake up every morning and I find apple peel and the core hanging out in the sink. And I'm like, what are you doing? And we have like those really cool, like double sinks, like one where let's got the stopper and then the one that, you know, goes to the, to the disposal. And I'm like, put it on the stopper side. So at least like, I can just like scoop it all up and then pick up the stopper and throw it out in the thing. And she's like, can we put down the garbage disposal? I'm like, no, this is such like a privilege. It's a privilege to have a garbage disposal. It is not a right. I go, only 50% of American households have garbage disposals. Only 3% of Canadian households, only 6% of like the UK and Europe. Like they think we're bananas. They do not understand the garbage disposal. It's a treat to have it, but its power must never be abused. Least it teach you a very expensive lesson. And so that is my rant. Respect your garbage disposal, people. I do. Good. I'm glad.
2: <laughs> I mean, my fiance is afraid of it, so. I am afraid of the garbage disposal.
0: As you should be. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Now for the positive side. The the, ra- the rave, which is we went to Villain's Night. Yay. Yay. I got to dress up as Magica Dispel from the Old School Ducktales, And I got to eat yummy churros and sip on a really yummy milkshake. And I got to watch a really kick-ass live show where... Dr. Terminus from Pete's Dragon was the MC, and I lost my absolute shit. Passamaquoddy.
1: (laughs)
2: Passamaquoddy. Yeah, Villains Night was my highlight too. I, I don't really cosplay villains, so I was kind of stumped there for a bit, but I was like, hell yeah, Descendants. Descendants is a thing. So that's what I went with it was really fun and it was like the first time we've gotten to do a good proper hangout just the three of us since this all started and yeah and we
1: saw regina we did see regina she she was a pilot regina with the high pony and the like the black lace and she looked
0: awesome if you're Um, out there cosplayer regina who was at the march 10th villain's night shout out to you villain's night was mine too i was
1: eclipsa from star versus the forces of evil who i love very much um, so that was fun. I guess if I have one other thing besides villain Night*, I really enjoyed Turning Red. Lynn and me watched it Friday night and it was very charming. I can't wait to watch that. It's really good.
2: It's very good. Even if white middle-aged men on the internet think it's unrelatable to them.
0: You know, they're such a minority. I know. they really, will they
1: have their day? They're really underrepresented. I love that it took place in 2002 as well.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, so you get some like real good like early 2000s nostalgia going. Yeah. Next time on Once Upon a Rewatch. While the heroes in Hook continue their search for Henry in Neverland, Peter Pan makes an offer to help Emma with the catch that she comes to grips with her true feelings about her identity. Meanwhile, Mr. Gold receives some unexpected advice that could lead him to understand his journey while in Neverland. And in the fairy tale land that was, when the evil queen presents Snow White with an offer to live her life with Charming in peace, with the caveat that she give up her claim to the throne, Charming makes it his mission to ensure that Snow doesn't take that offer. Thank you for tuning in to Once Upon a Rewatch. We are the narrators three. The moral of this episode is yeet. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Talk fairy tales with us on anchor.fm slash Once Upon a Rewatch. Tweet us at Once Upon Rewatch.
2: Participate in episodic polls on Instagram at Once Upon Rewatch. Follow
0: us at onceuponarewatch.tumblr.com. If you enjoy Once Upon a Rewatch, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or on your platform of choice.
1: The artwork for our podcast was by Lai Riru. We want to say a
2: very special thank you to the master of free music, Kevin McLeod. Our intro music is Frost Waltz, and our outro music is Fairy Tail Waltz.
0: This podcast uses material from episode-specific pages on the Once Upon a Time wiki at Fandom and is licensed under the Creative Commons Attribution Share Alike License. And remember,
1: all plot devices come with a price. I I you
2: wrote Sleepy Warrior.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I did just notice I wrote Sleepy Warrior. Sleepy Sleepy
2: Warrior. Sleepy Sleepy Warrior.
0: Oh, I know. I'm right I'm crying about Sleepy Warrior with you. <laughs> <laughs> Sleepy Warrior.